Thank you, Clyde, for this uh, warm welcome and nice introduction. I'm quite happy to be here with you and joining your uh, Conservation Divine podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Well, I have to say that my first contact with PRESPA and the Society for the Protection of PRESPA was through a volunteer program back in 1996. And back then it was very inspiring. So after that, I went on to complete my studies in biology. And uh, also I carried out a master's in wildlife conservation and management in uh, the University of Reading. And I was lucky enough to be able to come back to PRESPA, the place where I got my inspiration from in 2003, starting as a field ornithologist. And then, as you said, uh, moving on to managing various projects on wetland management and habitat conservation. I am here to talk to you about wetland habitats because recently I was coordinating large-scale uh, project, a life project on the conservation of wetlands, and I think I can transfer that experience to your, to you and your audience well enough. Just to give you a little bit of context, Lesser Prespa Lake is a lake found uh, within the Prespa Basin. It is one of the two lakes that are found within this transboundary basin. And uh, when you look at it, and if you take out the main water body, the open water, then you have an extensive mosaic of wetlands at the edges of this lake. So basically, it holds a diversity of habitats where different functions occur. And uh, out of these habitats, the reed beds take up about 65% of the wetland. This is the largest part of our wetlands. And the rest is made up of wet meadows, sand dunes, riparian forests, and sub some in some places, uh, submerged vegetation in the deeper part. So... The reed beds that you're asking about are the one of the main features of our wetlands. They expand over large areas. They cover about 750 hectares around the edges of uh, the lake. And of course, this is the most distinctive feature. You can see reed beds uh, uh, easily from anywhere across the lake. So just by comparison, Lake Great Prespa, which is five times bigger than Lesser Prespa, only has about 65 hectares of reed beds. So these reed beds are distinctive and they're also very important. They have several ecological functions. They may filter water uh, coming from agricultural runoff. They may uh, provide protection to other vegetation types like water lilies uh, from wave action. But the most important of all is that they are the main breeding grounds for important water bird species. 
So you've already talked, I think, about Dalmatian pelicans, but it is in the reed beds of, of Lesser Prespa that uh, Dalmatian pelicans form the larger colony in the world together and they breed together with the great white pelicans. Together with them or in separate parts of the reed bed, we can find several species of herons breeding, glossy ibises in recent years, pygmy cormorants, which also form a, quite an important um, colony in Prespa at the European level, and many other water bird species. So the main function of the reed beds that we're interested in preserving is how they act as, uh, as breeding grounds. Now, wet meadows, on the other hand, serve a diff- different types of functions. Uh, they form a thin belt around the reed bed at the outer parts of the lake, uh, right at the point where dry and wet conditions are mixed. So depending on water levels, uh, these areas can be flooded in spring. And uh, as they have low low vegetation, they constitute important spawning grounds for fish, important breeding grounds for amphibians, invertebrates, etc. And as they remain flooded throughout uh, early summer, they become very important feeding grounds for uh, water bird species. And just to say a few more things, such wet meadows are the spawning grounds of some of the endemic fish species, and uh, like the Prespa bleak and the Prespa roach, two of the nine endemic species. And these two species form the most numerous fish species in the lake, and they also are very important for feeding pelicans and other fish-eating birds. So in terms of ecological function, wet meadows are key. They are breeding sites for a chain of organisms that support the lake ecosystem. On the other hand, also, they may play some role in the local economy as species like the carp, an important species for the local fishery, also breed in wet meadows. They need flooded meadows to lay their eggs. And so we can say that in a sense, uh, and in other ways, wet meadows also support the local communities of uh, people and stakeholders. Well, um, you know, wetlands change very dynamically over small periods of time. You know, this hybrid state of wet and dry conditions support the evolution of wetland vegetation. And we have to say that wetland vegetation is affected by how we manage these sites and also how well flooded they become. So there are mainly two two key variables that affect how uh, wetlands are uh, how wetlands evolve and what functions they uh, they serve so both wet meadows and reed beds and especially reed beds which are very well adapted to many conditions they can they can grow in uh, very wet or very dry conditions they tend to spread uh, quite easily and they sometimes also they can overtake uh, meadows areas if they're not uh, managed and just to give it a little bit of context in the past these both these uh, habitats were uh, limited by human activities so people would uh, cut and use the reeds or along the 
literal zone along the edges of the lake, there would be some low-intensity cereal farming or cattle grazing, and this would help maintain the balance. So it would help maintain some widow areas and restrict the uh, the vigorous expansion of reed beds on the outer parts of the lake. So, well, of course, in the past, when when this was not possible, even they also used fires in early spring to open up space, uh, especially for fish to spawn. So many things were used as practices in the past, some more effective, some a bit destructive, but all this came to change in recent years. So by the end of 1980, many large-scale changes occurred. A large area was reclaimed for agricultural use, an irrigation system was installed, and this, of course, increased the development prospects for local farmers. But at the same time, it brought about an abandonment of these practices that would be beneficial for the wetlands. So as people started moving into agricultural land, reed beds become expanding over wet meadows on the, on the sides of the lake. In fact, uh, there some aerial photography exists from 1945, so right after the uh, the end, towards the end of the Second World War, and from this, uh, scientists have estimated in the past that about 130 hectares uh, of wet meadows existed at the time, and these were drastically decreased to 90 hectares in 1990, and by the time our organization, the Society for the Protection of Prespa, decided to intervene and restore wet meadows in around 2000. And there were only 33 hectares remaining. So we have a, an initial huge reduction of wet meadows at to a quarter of its initially estimated surface area. So, of course, this shrinking of wet meadows was one of the main threats that we identified. And we worked systematically to document the pressures, the issues, uh, designing restoration actions and implementing wetland management. And in fact, in 1997, the Society for the Protection of Prespa started uh, experimenting with restoration techniques for wet meadows in collaboration with the University of Thessaloniki and in collaboration with Tour du Valais, a research station in southern France, which is very experienced in Mediterranean wetland conservation and has supported our work throughout the years. Now, what they did then in the experimental study, they looked into ways of restoring wet meadows by cutting the vegetation, by bringing in buffalo grazing, and using combinations of cutting and grazing by buffaloes and cattle. So basically, this was an experiment, and it prescribed the techniques and the costs that we would need to apply large-scale restoration. And this brought us... Yeah, yeah, it, it's quite interesting, actually. It took a little uh, while to complete the experiments, like a three-year period. And then in 2002, the SPP was ready to apply uh, large-scale restoration. And it also had the opportunity, because of the first life project for the restoration of wet meadows, to implement on a large-scale wetland management. In this project, it was possible to increase the buffalo herd so apply pressure to the reed bed and create open areas, and also to involve some stock breeders uh, to carry out some wetland management. I should mention that at this stage that this buffalo herd was brought in 
by the SPPE from Kirkini Lake for the experimental management, but then it was possible to increase the herd and apply more targeted conservation action in the lake during the project. The second part of the project looked into water management issues. And so we know that for wet meadows, you have to keep the vegetation low. You have to stop the reeds from expanding. But it is also important that these areas flood during spring. So in a sense, we also addressed water management issues. Uh, There is a sluice gate. There is a a little sluice gate in Lesser Prespa where the only surface outflow of the lake into Great Prespa is found. And this was uh, managed ad hoc uh, until until the early 2000. And uh, what we did through the project is we renovated this loose gate and brought higher in the, the, the discussions on water management higher in the agenda of local stakeholders. So after we we applied vegetation management and we reconstructed the sluice, we had to answer the question who will manage these things now? And we tried to establish and operate a committee that would take decisions and support the decision-making of the authorities. We actually uh, organized this committee to involve both authorities, water authorities, uh, the Prespa National Park Authority, as well as stakeholders like stock breeders and fishermen and farmers. So this was key for the continuation of activities because although it is good for conservation (laughs) to flood the meadows uh, in spring, there were um, problems with uh, inundated farmland. So we had to find ways to converse with the stakeholders, with the farmers especially, and reach consensus. So one of the good things of at the end of the project was that uh, we managed to improve the water management, strike a consensus among the stakeholders and ensure that some conditions of flooding would be maintained throughout the years. And this ran nicely throughout the project. It also ran nicely for at least another 10 years. But of course, recent additional pressures Climate change and effects on water resources are kind of like making us look into adapting our management to new conditions. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, um, increasing drought conditions and fires are a problem that we have ahead of of us uh, for both in lake and uh, forested habitats in the area. So far, we haven't had such fires in the area, but uh, it is an imminent threat. So basically, we we restored the wet meadows uh, a few years ago, but then we started noticing that water resources were becoming scarce. So uh, precipitation in winter is becoming less, and uh, we have uh, been observing um, reduced flooding of uh, of the wet meadows in spring. 
so the the the, the lake water level is fluctuating from year to year and uh, it can be very can be quite high it can be medium but in recent years we have been experience uh, drought conditions in the in spring and this is um this is something that uh, we already tried to uh, work with and all this uh, climate change effects alarmed us and we tried to uh, increase our understanding of the effects of uh, climatic of changing climatic conditions so we already we were already cooperating with the national observatory of athens and uh, we uh, partnered with them and Turduvala, our long term partners to to try and look into adaptation of our wetland management activities uh, under uh, new climatic conditions so Another project came in in 2016, the Life Prespa Waterbirds. And through this, we followed an integrated approach to improve the ecosystem functions. So the National Observatory of Athens uh, studied uh, in detail the, vol- the vulnerability of the wetland to climate change and made predictions of uh, the water level regimes of the coming years. This helped us to design more appropriate measures for the for the conservation of the lake and wetlands so basically it was proposed for the first time to start extending our our management and extending the wet meadow uh, area the open areas in deeper parts of the lake this would mean that we would create open space in deeper parts where usually uh, reed beds are found uh, in specific sites of the lake uh, and this would allow some flooding to occur and some of the functions of wet meadows to continue providing uh, for the wetland ecosystem so one one of the restoration measures was to go deeper and create more open space another one was to also restore streams stream mouths are also important uh, spawning grounds and over the years they had become overgrown by reed vegetation or they had become dysfunctional because of uh, some technical obstacles so because we saw that they do hold the potential for becoming again fish spawning grounds and feeding grounds for water birds we also went into um to look into restoring two of stream outs in Lesser Prespa. At the same time, Turduvala prescribed more details uh, on how to manage the reed bed effectively. So it looked into how the water level affects the regrowth of reed and it uh, proposed specific uh, measures to be applied at specific times of the year. And uh, also it helped us in designing the fire breaks where and how fire breaks should be um, should be created to avoid the spread of fires. So indeed in Prespa, in Lesser Prespa, reedbed fires have been a long-standing issue. As I said before, it was also a practice used to open up spawning grounds by uh, by the locals but we want to contain this we want to to restrict this because obviously it may have devastating effects on other organisms living in the reed bed or also it may if it doesn't happen in early winter uh, in late winter or early spring then uh, there is a chance that these fires are spread over the areas where water birds breed so we wanted to create a safe space for um, uh, for the colonial breeders, especially as dry conditions make the spread of fires easier. 
So in this sense, we entered again into the cutting operations to expand the areas into 120 hectares. We restored these two stream mouths and we created several fire breaks around the reed bed uh, in key places where uh, the fires would be stopped before reaching important uh, reed beds, important reed bed sites. So in a sense, we went a bit larger and uh, in our uh, in our interventions, but uh, we also looked into um, recreating some grazing areas along the wetlands. So it makes it more beneficial for stock breeders to continue this type of management. So, you know, we bring in uh, the way that we need uh, the wetland to to be restored, but we do need um, the interventions of the local productive sector to continue these effects of our um, of our actions uh, sustainably over the future. Yes. Um, well, uh, the part of cutting and removing vegetation, well, the part of removing the vegetation from the wetland was very interesting to us. And in fact, it was one of our key questions on uh, what do we do with all the vegetation when we extract it? So through the life project, this recent life project starting in 2016, 2017, we tried to elaborate a bit on how such vegetation can be used. We knew already that these areas are used for grazing, so there was some potential for this kind of vegetation, reed and other wetland vegetation, to be used as fodder. It's something that uh, nutritious enough for uh, cattle. And uh, we tried to see if there are any other alternative solutions. So during the project, we collaborated with the Department of Agriculture at the University of Western Macedonia, and they managed to show us that indeed this type of vegetation is nutritious as fodder for cattle and that we need to concentrate our efforts in cutting them in early summer, so around August uh, or uh, late July, so it keeps its uh, high nutritional value. So this was one uh, positive outcome. We knew, uh, of course, the stock breeders already knew that cutting in summer is uh, better than cutting in autumn for use as fodder for their cattle. But also we experimented a bit more with, again, with the same department in the use of uh, such material as soil conditioners. So the, um, the university collaborated with farmers of the area and used this, shredded this reed vegetation and applied it at different experimental designs in uh, bean fields to show whether or not the soil is improved. So this was a two-year experiment. And again, it had some nice results that uh, this kind of um, vegetation uh, can be used for improving soil conditions for bean fields. And finally, we also looked into what can be done with dry reed. So in cases where we needed to 
cut reed during winter when it's dry and it has a low moisture content and it's not it cannot be used as a, a animal feed or soil conditioner uh, we thought that we might check if it can be used as a heating material so we supported the um, municipality of prespa to carry out a study on whether such heating um, could be used uh, for municipal buildings and schools of the area. This was a feasibility study, of course, that showed us the potential. Of course, it was very important for us to demonstrate these different potential uses of reed and wetland vegetation throughout the project. And of course, in the end, the most readily applicable option was chosen, which is the use of fodder. This was an obvious choice. Uh, already, we had started collaborating with stock breeders and they have the appropriate equipment to be used in cutting the vegetation, collecting the vegetation, taking it out of the wetland. Whereas the other two options are more at an initial stage of implementation. So if farmers wanted to uh, go on and use this material as soil conditioner, they would have to invest a little bit more uh, into uh, shredding uh, machinery, for example, shredding equipment. So this was not readily uh, easily applicable at the beginning. But of course, all these are uh, options that can be used, that may be used in the future somebody becomes interested. However, only the use of, uh, of wetland vegetation as fodder and the expansion of grasslands along the wetland is what keeps wetland conservation going, so even today. And so we, we see an example of how traditional methods are brought back into current management to promote conservation efforts in the area. So in essence, nothing new, really new, innovative comes into our wetland management at the moment. Uh, okay, with the ex exception of, of course, of uh, specialized machinery that can also cut in the deeper parts, uh, which is something that we continue doing. But in essence, the largest part of uh, wetland management is happening by traditional methods of cutting and grazing. And this helps us conserve the wet meadows around the lake and protect the reed beds from, um, from fires by cutting through fire breaks, etc. Yeah, um, well, so the first thing that our organization is looking out for is that we uh, need to manage our area altogether. So really uh, in a place like uh, Lesser Prespa where where a lot of people, a lot of different groups uh, have different benefits, fishermen, farmers, stock breeders, conservationists like ourselves. You know, this is a, this is a rich place that accommodates uh, all our uh, all our uh, goals and aims. So what we need to do, and we know this from the start, is that we need to collaborate. So in 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 a sense, one of the main successes of this research project is that finally we managed to link the actual vegetation management to the benefits for the productive sectors. So 
we answered, of course, all the conservation questions. How can we help the system to adapt? How can what kind of management do we need? What kinds of habitats should we we should be restoring and creating? And this was very these were very important questions. But it was the question on how do we do this sustainably in the future that was key a key success of the project and and this collaboration with local stakeholders comes a long way and i have to say that now to two years after the completion of the project uh, the largest part of the of wetland management continues in in a large extent and it continues through the efforts of the local people of the local stock breeders so we have we are seeing now uh, as as areas opened up and reed beds were uh, restricted. We see more uh, cattle grazing along the littoral zone. We see more people, more stock breeders interested uh, not only in grazing some areas, but in taking fodder from others. And we also see the, um, the Prespa National Park Authority trying to expand this management in new assigned areas by cutting through uh, specific reed beds that we hadn't managed to manage so far. So, you know, the collaboration is at all is continuing. And since we have some specialized equipment for cutting in in the deep, we uh, supplement these actions by going into the wetlands and doing some management on our own by our organization in, in late autumn after all the, uh, the management has been applied already by the others. So something to take away is that when you create benefits, when you use uh, conservation to create benefits for local stakeholders, then it's a win-win situation where they can continue taking away benefits and applying conservation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, throughout our projects, we we look into issues of uh, replicability. I mean, all of the um, actions that we have implemented so far in live Prespa waterbirds have had a demonstrative uh, character, and they and what we have implemented here and how we have implemented it can be. I guess it can be useful for. Um, uh, similar areas, similar wetlands in the Balkans that host important waterbird species and similar habitats and particularly similar threats. Throughout our actions, we we tend to reserve some time to train young professionals to pass our uh, experience to regional managers, site managers, and even uh, university students and uh, and others. Well, what I would like to say here is that the, the the conditions are constantly changing and we do need to keep uh, increasing our knowledge, incorporating state-of-the-art techniques, catching up with newly arising threats, uh, harnessing local knowledge, you know, all these. And the way we have been uh, applied these in the process of planning wetland conservation uh, is important. This, I believe that the most uh, 
important, the, the most uh, significant issue that should be replicated is how we go about designing and creating benefits for the local communities uh, that is replicable and important for other sites. And just to make a note here that water resources shortage due to climate change is also something that we see affecting Great Prespa Lake. Uh, you, I'm sure uh, you know that uh, Great Prespa Lake is uh, losing its water level. It's reducing continuously. And our efforts have uh, also turned towards Great Prespa in recent years. So as the wetlands are changing with the receding water level. We see new habitats arising and we're collaborating uh, at the transboundary level with NGOs and with protected area authorities to, to document these changes and see how these changes may bring about also changes in ecosystem services and in ecosystem functions. So we have uh, at the moment, you probably know, there is this PRESPANET network of NGOs across the three countries. Yes. Uh, and uh, in recent years, uh, our partners co concluded uh, their own uh, wetland habitat mapping of Great PRESPA and Lesser PRESPA in Albania, of course. And uh, now for the first time, Time we can look at a transboundary map uh, and which completes the picture of wetlands uh, across the Prespa Basin. And now we are trying to guide some conservation work across, uh, you know, all three partners of the PrespaNet are trying to look into uh, wetland conservation work across the basin based on this initial um, assessment of habitats. Mm -hmm. Thank you as well for uh, providing us this opportunity. Happy to uh, to do this anytime again with other issues as well. Thank you.